following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in Genesis. For previous messages or to find out more about our church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Again, welcome to Stone Oak Bible Church, and we are so glad that you're here and are excited this morning to continue studying and journeying through the book of Genesis. And last week we kicked it off and and Justin began to unpack Genesis chapter 1 at a very high level of creation. And I really appreciated the way that Justin unpacked that text and not kind of getting lost in the weeds, but giving us a 35,000 foot overview of what that chapter is all about. And he did a wonderful job. And I just want to put up the refresher statement this morning, especially if you weren't here last week. Um, But if you can go ahead and put that up, that Justin talked about in the beginning, God created all things out of nothing through his word for his good pleasure. In the beginning, God created all things out of nothing through his word for his good pleasure pleasure. And, and we talked about how this account in Genesis 1 is, is really a challenge and a call for us to place our faith in God. And it drives home the idea that we are to be people who worship this incredible God. And I hope that you took Justin up on his challenge this past week to read Genesis 1 devotionally. Because it really is a powerful text that gives us a glimpse of the incredible, enormous God that we serve. But in the beginning, in beginning this morning, I want to kind of just build briefly on what we talked about last week and, and kind of unpacking a little bit more about the enormity of creation because it's important that, that when we study our text this morning that we really grasp this. But if, if you've ever been somewhere where you've just been captivated by creation, have you, I'm sure you can identify with me, and you know, I want you to think to yourselves for a moment, where has been a time where you've seen something in creation where you've just said, okay, wow. For me, there, there's a few experiences that I think back to, and one of them was at the Grand Canyon. Has anybody been to the Grand Canyon? And maybe you're like me, you stood at the edge of that canyon, and you looked out and how intense it is and how vast it is, and I remember just looking at that, just thinking, okay, Wow. Okay, that, that talk about God's handiwork on display. And I remember feeling so small in the midst of the vastness of the canyon, especially when we hiked down to the bottom and just looked up. And I just remember thinking, okay, wow. I also had a, this similar experience when I went to Niagara Falls on the border of New York and Canada. And I remember just standing there and seeing this water just rush down and, and how intense it was and, and how many millions of gallons of water just poured out in instances over these rocks at Niagara Falls. And I just remember thinking, okay, wow. Ariel and I had, had a similar experience um, a few weeks ago, we went down to uh, Mustang Island State Park in, uh, on Corpus Christi and went to the beach. And for those of you that haven't been to Mustang Island, I, I tell you what, it's incredible. It's amazing. And we went and we, we rolled up and pulled our car over on, the, on this beach and looked out and there's all the palm trees and the sun shining and there's rocks that we walked out onto and looked at the vastness of the ocean and just thought to ourselves, okay, Wow. I mean, this is amazing. And you're sometimes captivated by creation. And I encourage you to continue to do that. And there's so many places around here. I mean, Enchanted Rock you can go to or Government Canyon or McAllister Park and just go to these places in creation and allow yourself to be captured by how beautiful and how wonderful and how intentionally designed it is by God. But then, you know, one of the things our our families kind of got excited about and that we're starting to read a lot of books about and go explore are creatures, 
are creatures. And there's two places in San Antonio that we love to go to. The first one is the zoo. And my girls, the first time we went to the zoo, they, they discovered their favorite animal, and it's called the okapi. And I don't know if you know what an okapi is, but imagine if a zebra, a horse, and a giraffe somehow all had a baby, right? And Google it and look it up, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But there's this okapi, and it wasn't even discovered until the early 1900s. They found this animal. And then we go, and after the okapi, we see the elephant and are just blown away by the design of the elephant in the trunk. And we're reading books about the complexity of the elephants. And then we keep walking, and we, we see the rhino and how amazing and majestic the rhino is. And then we go and see the giraffes and learn about the giraffes and how they breathe and how they eat and how if they go down, they have a sensor so that their brain doesn't explode. It's just crazy. And then you go and you see the zebras and, and then you keep going and you see porcupines and then you see emus and ostriches and kangaroos and lions and tigers and bears and goats and ever oh my, right? And ever you see all of this stuff, right? And, and you're just blown away by all of these creatures, and you think, man, this is just so amazing and so complex and crazy. And then the second place that we love to go to explore creatures is SeaWorld. And we live literally four minutes away from SeaWorld, and, and it's, it's incredible. And we go, and my girls love to see all these creatures. And if you want to know how God has a sense of humor, look at the walrus. You guys ever seen a walrus? I mean, my goodness, that thing is just amazing. I just love it, and I laugh every time, and I think that is God's sense of humor on display. And, and then you go and see the beluga whales and the dolphins, and then, of course, Shamu and the killer whales, and you see these just amazing, enormous creatures, and it's just incredible to see. And you were just captivated by that. And then, you know, when you couple the things that you experience in creation and you see these creatures and then you begin to explore and, and, and discover knowledge about the world that we live in and the universe that we live in, I mean, it is crazy. I don't know if you've seen the, 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 uh, the presentation called Indescribable by Louis Giglio, but if you haven't, write that down, make yourself a note and Google it and check it out. There's some things on YouTube that really I think will impact you. Um, but when you begin to, to see uh, and discover our universe, it really is mind-boggling. So planet Earth is huge. I mean, some of you have traveled overseas and been to different parts of, of the Earth, and, and it's enormous. And we were studying a globe the other day and just blown away that there's 196 different countries and how big our Earth is. And it houses 7.125 billion people that live on planet Earth. But then you begin to think about how big Earth is, but then in the grand scheme of things, you begin to discover and understand, okay, the sun, right, and, and how big the sun is. And if the Earth, okay, I've got a little image here. If the Earth were a golf ball, right, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. The sun would be 15 feet in diameter, and you could fit 960,000 golf balls inside the sun. 960,000 planet Earths inside the sun. And when we begin to have that kind of perspective, we realize maybe we're not as big as we thought we were. But then you begin to discover, okay, well, in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, there are stars that are even bigger than the sun. And there's this star called Betelgeuse that is twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. And if the earth were a golf ball, this star would be the size of six empire state buildings stacked on top of each other. And you could literally fit 262 trillion golf balls inside this one star in our galaxy. 
And then there's another star called Muse. Oh, wait, 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 in Beetlejuice, you could literally fill the Superdome in New Orleans with golf balls 3,000 times. That's how big this star is. And then you go to this other star, it's called Musefi. And if the earth were a golf ball, the size of the star would be two Golden Gate bridges end to end, 2.7 kilometers. And you could fit 2.7 quadrillion golf balls inside this one star in our galaxy. And there are billions of stars within our galaxy. But there's this other star called Canis Majoris. And, and literally, if the earth were a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the size of Mount Everest. And you could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside this one star in our galaxy. And that is enough to cover the entire state of Texas with golf balls, 22 inches deep. And literally, there are hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy. And there's over 100 billion galaxies that scientists are still discovering all of these stars. And they're still exploring and trying to learn so that they can see more of creation and the universe that we live in. And this is so important because when we study this text that we're going to dive into today that Craig read for us, we have to have this frame of reference that we just live on this little golf ball-sized earth, that we couldn't even see ourselves on this golf ball, that we're so tiny little specks on this golf ball compared to the rest of creation. But yet, yet we are marked by majesty and we're created in the very image of the God who made all of this. And you know, all of us are guilty. And I'm sure you'd admit that this morning of forming these presuppositions about what God is like. And then we come and we think we have God figured out and we think that we can, can pinpoint who he is. But God is bigger and he's so much greater than we could ever even imagine. And he's unrivaled and he's uncontested and there is none like him. And it's important this morning that when we uh, study this text especially, that any presupposition that we have about God, that we have him erase and that we begin to approach this text understanding the enormity and the immensity and the majesty and might of our God. And so we're going to dig into Genesis chapter 1. And before we do that, I just want to pray one more time and ask that God would really allow us to grasp this truth this morning. Father, I thank you that you are the creator and maker of all things. And Lord, we confess that we approach our world and we're oblivious to the enormity and immensity and power and might and majesty of your creation. And God, I pray that as we study the, the truth this morning, that you made us in your image and likeness and you gave us purpose and worth and dignity. Lord, that that would be a truth that transforms us and that would be a truth that motivates us and moves us for your glory. And so, God, I pray you'd, el- you'd eliminate any distractions that are here today. God, that you'd erase any presuppositions that we may have. And, Lord, that we would be able to learn more about you this morning as we study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're jumping into Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And right away in this text, we see that God created man and woman in his image and likeness. God created man and woman in his image and likeness. 
God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. And if you've read through Genesis 1, especially if you did that devotionally, you'll notice throughout Genesis 1 um, that God refers to himself as singular, right? And it says, then God said, or then God did, or then God spoke. And, and then when we get to this point, we see a plural, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And, and we're not going <clears> to <throat> go on a rabbit trail this morning, but this is the first reference we see in Scripture of the Trinity. And if uh, you've, you've studied the Trinity, you know that the concept of the Trinity is taught clearly throughout Scripture, although the word Trinity is never used in Scripture. And so when we come to a point like this, and it says, let us make man in our image, it's important that we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And a great text that you can kind of look to as a supplemental text is John chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. And then we also see in Genesis 1 that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was present hovering over the water. So here we see at the beginning of creation that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all present in creation. And they say, let us make man in our image and likeness. Let us make. And again, this idea of creation that we talked about last week, of, of intentionality and of design, and the word that, that Genesis used is formed. Let us form or make man in our image. And there's this, there's this idea of, of intentionality and, and intentional design and strategic design that God forms us as man. That the God of the universe who made these incredible planets and galaxies and stars that we don't even know exist, that are so much bigger than we could even imagine, he formed us strategically. And, and he says, but man be, man be made in our image. So man is not an accident. We're not the result of happenstance, but we're intentionally and strategically formed by the God of the universe. And then in Genesis chapter 2, he expounds on this. And says, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. God forms man. and calls the man Adam. And then he personally breathes into Adam the breath of life. And this is such a powerful picture where God comes and he literally creates him physically. And then he breathes into Adam the breath of life, and Adam becomes a living being. And later on in chapter 2, he, he creates woman and takes, him, uh, uh, takes her out of man. And God strategically and intentionally designs man and woman in his image. Now, I'm not an artist by any stretch of the imagination. As a matter of fact, it's actually embarrassing how all pretty much art skill has eluded me. Um, but, uh, but this idea of being formed and, 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 and created strategically, something I see a lot in my girls. And yesterday, actually, they, had, uh, they were sitting at the table, and they were painting. And I just saw them, and they were looking, and, and they had their paintbrush, and they would dip it in a color, and then they would paint strategically. And, and then they would dip it in another color, and then they would paint it. And then they would say, Daddy, look at what I made. Or when they bake cookies, they're so proud of their creation and the cookies that they made. Or they build something out of Play-Doh and they intentionally design it and form it. And they look at it and they're satisfied. And this is exactly what God did when he made man. He, he intentionally looked at us and the Bible says that we are God's handiwork. The God of the universe made us exactly the way he wanted us to be. But you know what's so amazing is not only did God make us, 
like the rest of creation. Not only did God design us, but there's something special about us that God said, let us make, make man in our image and likeness. That we're made in the image of God. And if you've been around church circles, you may have heard the Latin term used to describe this. is called the imago Dei, that we're made in the image of God. That God clearly formed and fashioned man to be made in his image. And something that I want to say again, not going on a rabbit trail and trying to keep ourselves at a, at a high level in this text. Scripture clearly teaches that man and woman are both equally made and created in the image of God. And there is an equality of worth and dignity given to man and woman by God. And although we're different, although we're differently designed, that we're created equally in the image of God. And so what does this mean? And this is where we're going to camp this morning. What does it mean that we're made in the image of God? What are the implications of that? And what is the application for us as a church? And so I know, you know, my friend Dan is a photographer, and he deals all the time with images. And you guys hear the word image, but what does that actually mean? And so the word image is defined as a representation of the external form of a person or thing in art, or a person or thing that closely resembles another. And the, the difficulty when we talk about being made in the image of God, and in the Bible, you know, we, we know that we're made in God's image, but for whatever reason, God didn't choose to write a thesis or an explanation of what are the implications or what does it mean that we're made in his image. And so there's a theological challenge that the Bible does not define explicitly what it means that humanity is made in the image of God. And as Justin highlighted last week, it's important that we understand the text for what it is and that when we approach it, we look at, at the author's intent and that God chose to tell us, hey, you are made in the image of God. You are set apart from creation. You are given this worth and this dignity. And so when, when we approach this, it's important that we, we understand that God made us in his image. And there are three scholars um, that, that gave helpful insight about what this means. And I, I think that this is hopefully going to be helpful for you as we, we talk about being made in the image of God. The first one is a guy by the name of Wayne Grudem. And, and just a quick Side trail, Dan, our director of men's ministry, actually they meet every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. for coffee, and they go through Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. So if you want to wake up super early and talk about theology, Dan is the man. So go see Dan Wednesday mornings um, and, and check it out and go through this. But Wayne Grudem says this, the words used for image and likeness in the Hebrew refer to something that is similar but not identical to the thing that it, it represents or is in the image of. Therefore, Genesis 1.26 would have meant to the original readers, let us make man to be like us or to represent us. Another scholar said the image of God and man involves God's creation of divine representations or images of God. God creates images of God who in relationship with God and each other serve to represent God in carrying out God's designated responsibilities. So that we're God's representatives or we're, the, we're God's ambassadors to the rest of creation. And the third scholar says this, that, that the image of God describes not just something that man has, but something that man is. That something that man is. And so working off these definitions that God created man and woman in his image and likeness to represent him and to serve as his ambassadors to the rest of creation, that we would experience relationship with him and with each other and in some way mirror or image him to the rest of creation. 
and being made in the image of God is what sets us apart from all other creatures. And this is very important. And this is a distinction that we have to make because this is foundational. And this is what it means for us as humans to have dignity and worth and to be separated from creation, that we are made in the image of God. And that this carries with it an understanding of the dignity of humanity, of being designed to function with, within relationships, of being hardwired to worship and to serve our Creator. And you know, in most of our educational systems today, we're taught something different, that, that man is, has kind of evolved and that we're a little bit higher than the animals. And there's a picture that we see that we, we come from chimpanzees and apes. But the Bible, and we can't, we can't debate that we're not similar to the rest of creation and that there's some similarities um, between mammals. But the central message of the Bible isn't that we're just a little bit higher than the animals, um, but that we as humanity have been given or provided by God a nature that doesn't come out of animals, but that comes from God himself. With who God, within who God is and what he wanted to do, there's this special relationship that he wanted with you and that he wanted with me. This is what the Bible teaches, that we're made in the image of God and we're given this capacity for relationship. And my, my Bible, study Bible, says something that stopped me as I read it this week. It just kind of caught me, and it said that God, or the crowning point of God's creation was made in his image to rule over creation. Think about that. People that inhabit this little golf ball are the crowning point of God's creation that he gave us to rule over his creation. And this is just amazing. And, and this has so many implications for who we are as human beings. And we're going to really press into that this morning. And, but this is when we talk about being made in the image of God, this is what we all have to come to grips with. And please, please listen closely. The discovering who we are as human beings must begin by understanding who God is. That if you ever want to discover yourself, it has to start by you discovering who God is. And we'll never fully understand ourselves unless we grasp this truth that we come from and that we're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. And so what does this mean and what does this look like? And if you've studied any theology, you'll know that there's a lot of different characteristics and attributes of God. There's a lot of different things that we know about God, and they divide them into two primary camps. There's the communicable attributes of God and the incommunicable attributes of God. There are some things about God that only he possesses. So God alone is omniscient. Only God knows everything. God alone is omnipresent. Only God is able to be present everywhere. And God alone is all-powerful. Only God can do everything. But yet there are also some communicable attributes or things that God has passed on to us as humanity or characteristics that he's given us as his people. And, and these communicable attributes um, are, are passed along to us as his image bearers. And so because God made us in his image, we are spiritual beings. We're created to represent God who is spirit. And human beings are not only material or physical, but that we are spiritual. Remember that God breathed into Adam the breath of life. And only humans are able to relate to commu and communicate and worship God in this deep spiritual way. And this is a vital nature of who we are as humans, that we're spiritual and that we're immortal because God breathed into us the breath of life, that we are eternal beings and that we're given spirits. Because God made us in his image, we're personal 
beings. We're created by a personal God, and our personhood reflects that aspect of God. And then out of the 7.125 billion people that live on the earth, no two people are the same. I mean, that's amazing. That's incredible when you really stop to think about that, that we're all personal, and that comes from being made in the image of God. Because God made us in his image, we're moral beings. We're moral beings that were given this sense of morality or this innate sense of right and wrong. And this, this truth is the hardest thing that atheists and evolutionists have to answer for. Because they, they can try to come up with all these theories about, you know, evolving and look, oh, look at a chimpanzee. They resemble humans. But where does our moral compass come from? And if you go to different cultures and you, go to, and you travel the world, almost every culture or every culture has some sort of moral code. And albeit it's marked by the fall and it's sinful, but everybody has some inner sense of what is right and wrong. And they struggle to account for that. They can't account for that. And because we're created in the image of God, we're rational beings. And God is a God of knowledge and wisdom. And he created us with the capacity to know and to learn and to think. Because we're created in the image of God, we're emotional beings. And God is a God of emotion and a God who loves and a God who's kind and generous and compassionate. And he's given us those abilities as well. And it's this emotive facet of our makeup that allows us to deeply connect with each other and with God himself. Because God made us in his image, we're relational beings. You know, we talked about that God is the Trinity. Let us make man in our image and likeness. And so God is a God of community, of, of community within himself. And when he creates Adam, Adam, he said, well, it wasn't good for him to be alone. And why is that? Because he's created in the image of God and he's made for community. And that's why we say all the time that the Christian life isn't meant to be done alone. And it's not about isolated individualism, but it's about living in community. And that's because we come from the image of God. And not only does God allow us to have a relationship with each other, but he gave us the ability to have relationship with himself. And this is a beautiful picture of being in the Garden of Eden and God and man living together in harmony, functioning the way that God intended. And there's so much to this. And honestly, you know, to do an overview of the image of God, I mean, it's so complex and there's so many details and it's so deep, but what are the implications and what is the application of this? And they're so deep and wide, but listen, because we're made in the image of God, there's a lot about the way that we should live. And so how is that affecting you that you're made in the image of God? Well, first off, we're accountable to God for the way that we live. If we're his ambassadors and we're to reflect who he is to the rest of creation and there were to be images or pictures of who God is, are you doing that? Are you showing the emotions of God and communicating his love and his kindness and his goodness in the way that you live your life? Are you communicating the image of God in the way that you relate to other people? Are you communicating the image of God uh, in the way that you act and, you're be, and the way that we behave and the way that we do good works because we've been given the sense of morality? And that we're accountable to God for the way that we live. Because God made us in his image, we have a God-centered purpose. This is where our identity comes from. This is why we have worth. This is why we have dignity. And I will never, ever forget a moment for me as a youth pastor. And there were a few moments that, that really gripped me. And, and I remember we were on a weekend retreat. And I, I love being on retreats, and they were just crazy. But also because 
it gave you a time to be alone with, with kids. And, and they give them a, a chance to kind of unplug from daily life. And so we had a, a Saturday night session. And after that, our group was hanging out. And I looked over, and there was a girl in the corner, and she, she had her head down, and she was a seventh grader. And so I walked over to her, and I said, hey, kiddo, how you doing? And then she just started bawling. And I said, I said what, what's going on, kid? And she said, I'm an accident. I'm an accident. I was a mistake. My mom and dad weren't married, and uh, I, uh, they didn't want me. Nobody wants me. My life has no purpose. And she just started sobbing. And I looked at her and I said, kiddo, kiddo, that is a lie. You are made and you're created in the image of God and you have a God-centered purpose, the God of the universe who created us, who inhabit this little golf ball in the, the grand scheme of things. He has a plan for you and he has a purpose for you and there's dignity in your life and you are not a mistake. And that the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you have a God-centered purpose that you can live your life and experience relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And I shared with this little girl the hope of the gospel. And that comes because she is not a mistake. She's not an accident. And she's created with intentionality. And so are you. And you have a God-centered purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. And that we have a purpose. And it comes from the fact that you're made with intentionality in the image of God. So I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. God doesn't care what you've done because he offers forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ, and allow you to be in relationship with him, which is the very purpose for which you were created. And so are we experiencing this, our God-centered purpose in life? And because God made us in his image, each life has great value. The uniqueness, and this is so huge, and this is really our driving force of application, is the uniqueness of human life being made in the image of God is why we as Christians advocate for life. This is why we fight for the unborn, because life is sacred, and because life begins at conception, and, and every person is formed and fashioned by Almighty God in His image. And this is why we value human life. This is why a few months ago, I don't know if you heard about the Cincinnati Zoo incident where this little four-year-old boy fell in the pit with a gorilla. And people were out, outraged that they, they killed the gorilla. But this is why we as human beings say, no, that four-year-old boy is made in the image of God. And that's not to diminish the rest of creation, but he is, is higher than the animals because he's been given the image of the Almighty God himself. And he has intrinsic value because of his, the fact that he's made in the image of God. This is why we as a church are both locally and globally minded because all human beings are made in the image of God. And this is why we as Christians don't take a back seat when we see the poor, the marginalized, the broken, and the destitute. And that we're called to advocate for the needs of others because life is precious and they're made in the image of God. This is why we as Christians advocate for children. And this is why this is why it should break us and grieve us that there are over one billion children in the world that are living in poverty. And according to UNICEF, that there's 22,000 children die every day because of hunger. And this is why, church, this is why this should move us to action is because those are precious lives made in the image of God. And we can't just sit here and do nothing, but we need to advocate for life. This is why 
that we should be saddened about what's happening in our world and it should deeply grieve us about these senseless murders and killings in Turkey and in nice France. And this morning I got a notification on my phone about police officers, another shooting of police officers this morning. This is why this grieves us about what happened to Philando Castile in Minnesota or Alton Sterling in Louisiana or what happened in Dallas with these police officers. This is why this grieves us and breaks us because life is precious and that we're made in the image of God. It's so unbelievably sad. And I've just felt this weight and this brokenness and this heaviness for what's happening in our country. And because people are made in the image of God, that's why we need to listen and to be silent and listen to others who feel oppressed and marginalized and profiled and broken. And that's why we need to be a steady voice of equality because we're all made in the image of God. And this is so primary and foundational to the way we view each other and the way we treat each other and the way we stand up and advocate for life. And that we're to be a champion for the poor and marginalized, champion for the broken, champion for the profiled, champion for the hurting because we're made in the image of the Almighty God. Amen? And so this ought to elicit a great response in us as God's people. And this ought to move us to action to be advocates for life. And so God makes Adam and Eve in his image, and he, he looks at them as the crowning point of his creation, and he gave them a responsibility. And so our, our point this morning, he says, uh, God, God created man and woman in his image and likeness to have dominion over creation or to rule over creation. Genesis 1.26 says, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So he says, Hey, you're made in my image and likeness. Have dominion over creation. Now think about that for a second in light of what we talked about of, of living on this golf ball. That we as human beings, as God image bearers, have dominion over all of what God created. Uh, that, that's just amazing. I mean, well, how incredible that is and the responsibility that God has given us. And you know what's, what's true is that to whom much is given, much is required. And so what does it mean for us to have dominion over creation? And now, for a second, hold on, I, I feel bad doing this, but spoiler alert, right? The world does not stay perfect. And we're going to talk about next week in Genesis chapter 3 that, that there's the fall of man and that this relationship, this per perfect harmony that God has with man becomes fractured and disrupted by sin. But our responsibility to have dominion over creation is never relinquished after the fall. So we still have a responsibility to have dominion and to rule over creation. And so what does this mean? What does it mean for us to have dominion and to rule over God's creation? And have you ever really thought about that? Because this has been thought-provoking for me, and I had a great discussion with my wife about this. Like, what does it actually mean that we rule over creation? And, and how do we do that? Do we love creation? Do we delight in creation? Do we nurture it? Do we care for it? And now I want to preface this by saying I, I'm not trying to get into an environmental debate, or I'm not an environmental extremist. But it is important that we are cognizant of the fact that we live in God's creation and that we steward it well and that we're responsible consumers of resources and that we take delight and pride in God's creation and that we're conscious of our environment around us. 
That we should work diligently with excellence to glorify God and to honor God with the fruits of our labor. And and that we have this responsibility to steward the creation that God has given us. And as Craig read, part of what it means for Adam and Eve to have dominion over the earth is that they're to be fruitful and to multiply. That they're to be fruitful and to multiply. And while... um, and to fill the earth and subdue it. And while having children isn't necessarily the same mandate for us in the same way that it is for, was for Adam and Eve, it, this is an incredible thing that we're able to bring new life into the world, which is just incredible. I mean, it's a miracle when you think about birth. And we're able to be fruitful and multiply. But one of the things I really think is so important for us as Christians that one of the ways that we have dominion and rule over creation as believers in Jesus Christ, that we're not, we don't only multiply um, biologically, but we're able to multiply spiritually. And Jesus gave us the Great Commission and said, hey, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And we're able to, to have dominion in the spiritual sense as believers that we go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit and that we make disciples This is the greatest way that we can exercise dominion over the earth that we're using the authority that God has given us because there's so many people who need the gospel. And this is so important because in light of the fact that we know that there's the fall, we're still created in God's image and we're made for relationship with him. And there are so many people that you know in your life, maybe in your families, at your workplaces, at your neighborhood, that are image bearers, that have been distorted. And so they're looking and they're searching and they're trying to find this relationship and it's only through Jesus Christ that they're able to be in relationship with God. And we need to go and we need to multiply and to share the gospel and to make disciples. And honestly, that's one of the reasons, that is the reason that I'm here. That's the reason that we're planting Mission Community Church. That's the reason that we partnered with Stone Oak Bible is because we believe in multiplication. We believe that we're able to partner with God through the Holy Spirit and that he's given us the power to share the gospel to make disciples. And just a shameless plug, if you want to join us tonight at our home to to pray for Mission Community Church and pray for our community and our city, we would love to have you. We're going to have a prayer meeting and dinner and child care provided. And if you need directions, please come talk to me or my wife or Bethany has directions as well. Um, but, But that's what we're all about is multiplying and sharing the gospel boldly. It's a way we exercise our dominion and and that God has allowed us to have an impact spiritually. These are just some of the ways in which we can and should continue to exercise dominion and creation in this fallen world as redeemed people, that God has not removed this responsibility from us to have rule over creation and that we're able to take our opportunities and the only one chance in life that we get to rule over creation and to steward it well for his glory. And that's our final point this morning is that God created man and woman in his image and likeness to have dominion over creation for his glory. Genesis chapter 1, you see a lot of times that it says, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and that God saw that it was good. And at the end, he gets done, he creates man, and he looks at his creation and says, then God said that it was very good, and God is satisfied, and God delights in his creation. And he looks at it, and he's proud of it, just like my little girls with with making Play-Doh or drawing something. They're proud of their creation. It's very good. But we look at other verses of Scripture that supplement this. And and this is such an incredible text in Isaiah. It says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. 
Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. That we are formed and made by the Almighty God to bring him glory. So what does this even mean? If you're like me and maybe you've been around the church a lot, you hear these buzzwords and you talk about concepts and it's like, what do they even mean? What does it mean? We probably heard it. Oh, yeah, we bring God glory. Oh, yeah, it's about God's glory. But what does that mean? The word glory means high renown or honor, great magnificence or worth. As his image bears and as his representatives, he's called us to worship him and to bring him glory. I read a, a, a commentary that unpacked this, and it says, it says this, To glorify God is to extol or exalt his attributes, his holiness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace, his love, his majesty, his power, his omniscience. Just to name a few, rehearsing them over and over again in our minds and telling others about the nature of salvation that only he offers. Being people that reflect, it's, th- th- what this says is, listen, knowing God, being in relationship with him, having impact, being impacted by him, and then being his image bearers, living it out, sharing the hope of the gospel through Jesus Christ. A well-known pastor and author, John Piper, he talks about this a lot about what does it mean to bring God glory. And he says, uh, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us, or he's most honored by us when we are most satisfied in him. And the greatest way that we can exalt and glorify God, which is the very reason we were created, is to seek satisfaction and delight in him alone, is to worship him to spend time with him, to ask his Holy Spirit to continue to fill us, to allow Him, to his Holy Spirit to consume us and to captivate our hearts. And we're going to talk about the fall and the disruption of this relationship with God in the world and how it destroyed this beautiful relationship that man had with God, but that God chose to make a way and to make that right and to restore that relationship so that through Jesus Christ, everything can be made right and we can be restored to relationship with the Almighty God. You know what's so amazing? What's so literally mind-blowing and mind-boggling about this whole thing, being made in the image of God? It's not only did God make us, and not only did God make man, And not only does the Holy Spirit dwell in us, that he he gives us his Holy Spirit to live in us, but God became man for us in the form of Jesus Christ. That God became man. And in a second, I'm going to read a, a, a scripture to close. It says, what is man that you are mindful of him, God? But let alone not only that, God became man to make a way to restore this relationship so that we can experience this unity with God, that we're created for relationship and to fellowship with God. And so as we close today, I want to read a few scriptures. Emma, can you put the uh, Ephesians scripture for us? I want you to read this. Can we read this together this morning? For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How powerful is that? So I think the application for you and me this week, and you know, last week we read Genesis 1 devotionally. I want you to, to, to study this, to chew on this, 
to, to reflect on this, to meditate on this, and then begin to uncover it, that you are God's handiwork, and you have a God-centered purpose in creation, and you're created in Jesus Christ to do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. And what does this mean for you, and how are you living this out, your Ephesians 2.10 purpose? That God created you, and through the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit allows us to have an impact in his creation as his image bears. I mean, this is just so amazing. Not only are we created to fellowship with the Almighty God in a unique and personal way, but although we broke that and we marred it by sin, God offers this back to us through his son, Jesus Christ, that we're able to be his image bearers and to reflect him in relationship. And so as the band comes forward today, what we want to do is review our, our statement that, that man and woman were created in the image of God to rule over creation for his glory. And so we're just going to spend time worshiping. We're going to spend time singing praise to God. And as we do that, would you stand with me? I'm going to read to you two scriptures. First one is found in Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor? You've given him dominion over all the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then our other scripture found in 1 Chronicles. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that we would be people who bring you glory. That it wouldn't just be about going to church, but about being the church. And reflecting your image and creation and living out the Imago Day, that we would be people who, who are advocates for life, that we are people who multiply spiritually and share your gospel because of, of who we are created to be. And Lord, that we would glorify you, not just in this hour and 15 minutes that we have together on Sunday mornings, but in the way that we live and that we'd be able to say, as it says in Romans, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you, for this is our spiritual act of worship. And Lord, as we sing this song now, how great is our God. God, I pray that, that you would allow us to understand that. We know we have limited minds. We know that we can't fully grasp you, but would you give us a glimpse of your majesty and your splendor and your glory and your honor? And would you move us and motivate us to live lives worthy of the calling that you placed on our lives for your son Jesus? And it's in his name. Amen.